Hi. If you're watching this video, it means that either Kath Bremner's mum is back in hospital and she's having to stay down in Auckland to look after her, or she hasn't recovered from her bout with COVID. Uh, so this is the stand-in sermon. Looking at the same passage in Colossians. So let's just pray. Lord, I would just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. And you might think that the passage that we had read out to us today is like the credits at the end of a movie. The story has finished and this long list of names rolls down. And you feel free uh, to get up and walk out on them. Because let's face it, it's not really that important. It's not that gripping. And uh, most of the names are hard to pronounce. And it's not like with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, there isn't a teaser for what's coming next for those who linger and stay through all the credits. And you might ask the question, well, why spend a whole sermon looking at this section of the book? This list of names, names of people that we hardly ever hear of. What is just a formality at the end of what really was a brilliant and wonderful and encouraging letter? Well, we live in a time when journalists more and more use human interest stories as a way of looking at the news, as a lens on government legislation and policy, as a lens on large, important news stories of the day, how they affect and impact on one person, a person like you or I. Uh, and it makes it personal, and it makes it accessible for people. Uh, apparently, it's a cost-efficient way of doing the news, and it's more ef effective at getting an audience to react as well, uh, to sway viewers to the viewpoint being presented. In this list of people, at the end of the letter to the church at Colossae, takes the deep wonderful good news theology that Paul and Timothy have been talking about and ties it down to it being lived out in the lives of real people, people like you and I. N.T. Wright sums it up at the end of his commentary by saying, the gospel is not about abstract ideas, but about people. Te tangata, te tangata. Tatangata, as the Māori proverb says. In Jesus, the word became flesh, and the God who is the main subject of the gospel is known supremely as the God of love. And we have been working our way through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. Colossae, remember, is a city in the Lycus River Valley in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And it's a city that he had never been to, or at least we have no record of his visit there. And he's writing as a prisoner. And probably he's in Ephesus on his way to Rome. 
And he writes to encourage the church to stand strong and grow to maturity in the faith, warning them against people who would try and tie them down to hollow man-made philosophies. Uh, Christ plus something else religion. And he writes to affirm for them that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is sufficient for our salvation, is sufficient for fullness of life, is sufficient for our future hope. That our old selves have been uh, put to death and crucified with Christ and buried, and we have been raised to life in Christ as part of God's new creation, and that we should live that out in the way in which we show love to one another across the social and cultural barriers of the world, that in Christ we are primarily brothers and sisters. And the key way we relate to each other is with Christ-like service and care. And the series uh, was called Colossians Christ and Christ alone, picking up Paul's central affirmation of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The passage we're looking at today is really split into four sections. Verses 7 to 9 deal with the messengers who were delivering the letter. In verse 10 to 14 are greetings from Paul's companions to the church at Colossae. And then verse 15 is greetings that Paul is asking the church at Colossae to give to others. And finally, verses 16 to 18 are some final instructions and a blessing. So let's through, look through the text and look at what it and that list of names has to say today. Firstly, let's look at the messengers in verse 7 and 8. Sorry, 7 and 9. Tychicus is listed first, and in Acts we learn that Tychicus was a convert from Ephesus who traveled with Paul to Macedonia and beyond, and also was with Paul on his fateful trip to Jerusalem where he was arrested. And he's mentioned in Ephesians 6, 21 and 22 as the person who probably delivered that letter to that church as well. And in 2 Timothy and Titus, Paul instructs his recipients to send Tychicus to Ephesus. It shows that Tychicus was one of Paul's uh, key leaders and probably one of his key troubleshooters. And Paul shows his great love for Tychicus and also that he values him as a co-worker of the gospel. He uses the word fellow servant, dear brother, faithful minister. And that fellow servant or fellow slave reminds his readers, after Paul had spoken of slaves and masters, that Christian leaders are themselves to simply be seen as servants and slaves of Christ. But, it gives, but in giving Tychicus all these titles, Paul is also affirming Tychicus' authority. Because, you see, as the person who delivered the letter... He would have been seen as the embodiment of the writer. He would answer the questions and expand on what was being said. And Paul also tells us that Tychicus and Onesimus would uh, let the church know what was happening in Paul's life and was there to encourage and build them up. 
Of course, the other messenger is Onesimus, who Paul says is one of you. He is from Colossae. And we know that Onesimus was a slave. He was a slave in the household of Philemon at Colossae. And he had run away only to run into and be converted to Christ by Paul. And his forgiveness and his ability to be involved in Paul's ministry is the subject matter of the letter to Philemon, which is closely associated with the letter to Colossians. And we don't know at which stage we are at when this letter and Onesimus are sent to Colossae. However, you'll note that Paul's emphasis when he's talking about Onesimus is that he refers to Onesimus as a fellow brother in Christ. He doesn't want to emphasize the servant or slave part when it comes to talking of Onesimus. And you know, Onesimus's presence adds a real-life edge to Paul's teaching about new life in Christ and how we should treat fellow Christians with forgiveness and the attributes of love. It's not just virtual signaling, that's virtue signaling, but new creation living amidst the messiness of life. Not only will these people bring the letter, but also they're going to tell the church about what's happening with Paul and Timothy. And our in this section actually reminds us that this letter is from both of these men. And it says something about them, that they are more concerned with building the church up and encouraging them than letting them know about their own conditions and troubles. Then in verse 10, Paul moves to bring greetings from six of his fellow companions, three fellow Jews and then three Gentile co-workers. Aristocrus is the first one mentioned, who Paul says is a fellow prisoner. And we find him accompanying Paul in Acts from his time in Thessalonica. And then in Acts 19.29, we see that he was also arrested during the riots in Ephesus. And he was with Paul in Jerusalem when he was arrested and all the way to Rome. He's also mentioned in the letter to Philemon. And we have Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. In Acts, we learn that Mark's mother hosted church meetings in Jerusalem right from the beginning of the church. Barnabas wanted to take Mark on Paul's second missionary trip. However, Paul was not willing to take him after he had deserted them on their first trip. And this caused a rift between Barnabas and Paul, with Paul taking Silas with him and Barnabas taking Mark to Cyprus. And you know, Paul, when you read through the New Testament, will often use the word faithful when he's talking about his companions. And you see, that is something that he values, that consistency over a long period of time. The fact that Mark is mentioned here shows that the rift has been healed. Again, it's a working out of that new creation living in the lives of real people. In other letters, Paul will ask Mark to be sent to him as he is useful. Mark's also mentioned as in 1 Peter as being with Peter in Rome and is traditionally seen as the writer of the gospel that bears his name. One often seen as written for a Roman audience 
and with Peter as the primary source. Then there's Jesus known as justice. And that's the only mention in scripture that we have of Jesus known as justice. And he's like many Jews of his time. He has a Hebrew name, Yeshua or Jesus, and a Greek or Roman name, justice, like Saul and Paul. Possibly also being known as justice also meant that he wasn't always known as, no, not that Jesus, you know, the other one. These are the only three Jewish co-workers for the kingdom that Paul says he has for comfort. Paul's mission and message of Gentile inclusion to the kingdom of God without them having to be circumcised or to follow the ritual laws of the Jews was not universally accepted. And here we find something of Paul's pain at his rejection and the rejection of his message by many of his fellow Jews. Then we have three Gentile companions named. Epaphras is acknowledged as he is the person who had brought the gospel to Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis, the three cities in the Lycus Valley. He had planted those churches. Paul affirms his continued concern and hard work on their behalf. His prayer for them to stand firm and grow into maturity echoes Paul's own prayer. Then we have Luke, the beloved Luke, the physician. And you know, this is the only time in the New Testament epistles that Luke is named. And it's how we actually know he is a doctor. And of course, he's attributed with writing the gospel, uh, which bears his name, and also the book of Acts. And in the wee passages of Acts, there's evidence that Paul, Luke is present with Paul in his journeys in Jerusalem and in Rome. We includes Luke. And Demas is the last of Paul's co-workers mentioned. He's also mentioned as a co-worker in the letter to Philemon. And then sadly in the letter, uh, later letter of 2 Timothy, Paul is sad because Demas has deserted him and gone to Thessalonica because he loves this world so much. He's deserted Paul's mission. Maybe he's also deserted the faith. It's important to see that Paul's choice of co-workers and companions actually shows his commitment to a cross-ethnic church, a place where in Christ there is no Jew or Gentile, Greek or barbarian, free or slave, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. Paul demonstrates that. He lives it out. Verse 15, we have Paul asking that greetings be given from him. First to the brothers and sisters in Laodicea. An encouragement that as a church, we may be in our isolated communities, we may be focusing on what's happening here, but we are called to be connected and caring for our the fellow Christians around us. Churches close by and far away. And then finally to Nympha and the church that meets in her house. And here again, we have a silent witness to women in leadership in the New Testament. Nympha was either a widow or somehow she was the head of the household that hosted a church. 
and she was probably its leader as well. Just like when Paul writes to Philemon, he greets Philemon and the church that meets in Philemon's house. There's never any dispute that Philemon is in leadership when he is mentioned like that. Then in verse 16 to 18, we have Paul's final instructions. The first is that Laodicea and Colossae swap letters once they have read them. It's early evidence that Paul believed what he wrote was significant and important for all believers, that it was authoritative, and that while it was written in an occasional manner, that was to a specific time and place, that the issues and the theology expressed there for each church was similar enough for his message to be relevant elsewhere. And what we are doing now by reading Paul's epistles and working through what they mean and how they are relevant connects us to this early church and Paul's direct instructions to them. It just may be harder for us to work through how they apply as it's more distant in time and space. I mean, we're not just across the valley. And the church is told are told to tell Archippus to complete the ministry he has received from the Lord. And Archippus is mentioned in Paul's letter to Philemon as part of the household and church there. And Paul calls him a fellow soldier in Christ, a way of talking about him as a co-worker, struggling and fighting for the gospel. We don't know what his ministry was, but it does remind us to encourage people in ministry to keep on going and to acknowledge that these people are called to what they do by God. And we, you know, we in ministry and leadership actually need that encouragement to persevere and to complete what we have been called to do as servants of Christ, to build up the church. And Paul then signs off in person. Remember that most of Paul's letters would have been written by a scribe or a secretary but it would have come from Paul and Timothy. And here, as a mark of authenticity and authority, Paul writes in his own hand. He asks the church to remember him in prayer and to remember his captivity. You know, it's an encouragement for us to uh, remember and to pray for those who are imprisoned because of their faith in Jesus Christ, to remember the persecuted Christians and churches around the world, and to bring them before God, constantly bring them before God. Then this letter finishes with a blessing of grace. Grace be with you. And as C.K. Beale in his commentary says, in the end, all Paul has said to the Colossians can only be understood, applied, and obeyed in the grace of God. Well, I want to finish by making three quick comments as to how this applies to us today. The first is these names and the amount of warmth and affection with which each one is spoken of shows us about the need for genuine fellowship, which is not just a cup of tea and a chat after the service. Here, Paul's use of the word fellow, fellow servant, fellow minister, 
fellow prisoner, fellow soldier. You know, we are called to be a committed community who together live out and proclaim the gospel, who work together for that common goal and that common good, who genuinely love one another and care and support and encourage and spur one another on. In the difficult times, times of hardship and suffering, like Paul's imprisonment, amidst the difficult and potentially destructive pastoral and relational issues that would try and divide us and rip the church apart, like Onesimus needing to be uh, forgiven and reconciled with Philemon, or Mark and Barnabas who had fallen out with Paul but were now reunited, you know, putting into effect that forgiveness and grace that comes in Christ, putting that into action. And I can't but help that it also means being prepared to experience the hurt that Paul did over Demas, deserting him, you know, offering all the warmth and embrace of fellowship to everyone. And, you know, sometimes we will be disappointed and hurt. Secondly, it's a fellowship across the social divides of the day. This passage speaks to us of being a genuine multicultural church which is an outworking of being God's new creation people in Christ, Christ in all. And Paul not only proclaimed that, he lived it out. His close companions and fellow co-workers were a natural outworking and expression of that. The people he greeted shows it. I know it's sadly still controversy, but that includes women in position of leadership as well. In his letter to Philemon, which is so closely associated with the letter to Colossae, he greets both Philemon and his wife, Aphia, whom Paul calls a fellow sister, acknowledging that they both have that role in leadership. You know, and I want, and I long to be a part of a church where cultures are welcomed and people from all over are welcomed and valued and their distinctives are included as gifts into our lives and our worship. You know, I'm still blown away by the glimpse that Enosa and his family uh, and Felicity gave us to the joy and the vibrancy of the possibility of that cross-cultural sharing when their family came and they handed him over to us. You know, uh, it's central here. You know, Charlotte will often ask if she can do a wire in the service, offer us a gift of her language and culture. Up at Tikipanga, it's really amazing because you go up there and um, Cherie and Jimmy, they will welcome you into the service, both in English and Tereo and also in New Zealand Sign Language. And I don't know many churches where you get welcomed by all three official languages of this country together. And, you know, here... Uh, you can be greeted one week to the next in Tereo or Samoan or Hindi or Afrikaans or badly spoken English. Ah, yeah, g'day. You know, a place, I want to be part of a church where men and women work together, where there are young and old, you know, where it's a present day manifestation of being that new creation people in Christ. Thirdly, it's easy when we read these letters and the scripture to kind of get the idea that Paul is the key figure. He's the hero of the story. He is the central figure. You know, he's the celebrity. 
And we do live in a time when celebrity is valued. And, you know, people become important and central when they have more than one platform to speak from. You might see them standing in a platform at church. And then you'll see them live streamed on different uh, platforms online. And you get the idea that they're important and significant. And we put our trust in them. And that's dangerous. But here we see Paul's vision of how the church and mission and the spread of the gospel works. And it's why I love being part of a team preaching, uh, having a preaching team here. You see, it's not about one person apart from Jesus Christ. You know, uh, here we see this community, this team committed to the cause of Christ, committed to the spread of the gospel, committed to the growth and to maturity of the church. You know, you have a part to play in that. You, alongside each other, are called to be part of that team. And they see themselves as brothers and sisters, as fellow workers, fellow servants of Christ. They value each other's support and comfort and are willing to encourage each other to carry on in their ministry. You know, Paul is Timothy's mentor, seeking to empower the next generation. Epaphras had been discipled by Paul, and it's amazing because he'd gone and planted three new churches. Mark uses his writing skills, as does Luke. And, you know, the amazing thing about Luke is you, you can get the idea that he'll sit down and talk to people, and he'll value their memories and write them down, like Mary and others, and his gospel. And, you know, there are others who simply work in obscurity. You only know their name. We talked about this list being like a list of credentials. And there is one famous credit slide, which always comes up when you do film studies at university. It's a slide from the end of the film Citizen Kane, where Orson Welles, the director, producer, lead actor, writer, and visionary behind the film, actually shares equal billing on the screen with cameraman Greg Tolan. You know, it's a way of acknowledging uh, Greg Tolan's wonderful cinematography and the way in which his giftings and abilities made Wells's vision come alive. Finally, in closing, Colossae is this amazing, wonderful letter. Speaking of the sufficiency and supremacy of Christ, in his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus has done all that's needed for us to be reconciled with God, all that's been needed for us to know and to live a full and abundant new creation life. All that has been done uh, is needed for us to have a sure and certain hope for eternity. We have died with Christ. We are raised with Christ into new creation living, and we will be raised to eternal life with Christ when he returns. You know, it might feel like the credits have rolled on Colossians, but the story is not over. It's your story. It's my story. It's our story. We too need to stand firm in the faith. We too need to love all the people of God. And that springs out of the hope we have in heaven. We too uh, need to uh, come and grow to know the complete will of God and live in a way that pleases God. 
by loving one another. You know, we too need the blessing that Paul gives to the church at Colossae. Grace be with you. I know I need it. Grace be with me. Grace be with us. Grace be with us as we put our trust and live it out. You know, as we put our trust in Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Lord, I just want to take a moment to invite us to think back at all the people, that great cloud of witnesses, that marvellous supporting cast of co-workers, the credits that would roll about the people that have told us about Jesus, who have encouraged us to grow in the faith, who have walked alongside us, who have warned us of the dangers of things that would try and drag us away from Jesus. We thank you for those people, the ones that seem to play a large role, maybe the ones that we just don't know how much they have given, the silent prayers, those who gave a simple word, an encouragement, a smile at the right time. Thank you, Lord, for them. Lord, we just pray that we too might know the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ in our lives. That we might live out that wonderful gospel truth. That we might be that new creation people. The grace of God be with you all. Amen. I'm going to hand you back to Judy now, who's going to uh, lead you through the rest of the service. Uh, thanks, Judy. Bye.